Welcome back to the latest episode of the CGA Tour Podcast. As always here, I'm your host, Calvin Glenn Alexander. And on this episode of the CGA Tour Podcast, I have the greatest podcast guest I will ever have on the CGA Tour because, of course, it's my dad. Dad, Carrie Alexander, how are you doing? Doing well. Very well. Yeah. I love the background. If you're able to watch the podcast episodes on YouTube, dad's got the Boompigan State in the background. A little bit better than my uh, Thunder flag and Oklahoma State flag background here. It looks good. Not, not the one I have for, for the day job. I'll put it that way, but uh, it's better than what it would be if I didn't have a virtual background. That's for darn sure. Well, hey, I mean, the, the diplomas on the wall are really cool, you know, so, <laughs> so either way, either way. Well, that being said, we definitely want to talk about Oklahoma State sports, recap the Oklahoma State basketball season, talk about Oklahoma State baseball, and maybe preview some Oklahoma State football at the end uh, with uh, a bunch of different changes coming on. But first, I'll ask you this. Dad, you had courtside you know, or row one-ish seats for the Texas Tech game. That was a thriller of a game uh, this last weekend, which unfortunately was the last game of our season. But what do you think about the game against Texas Tech? You know, it's kind of amazing because Texas Tech has a – they've had some really good teams. They played really well throughout the year. And we played them at uh, Lubbock. I think it was like a 21-point no-contest game, most of it. And it just seemed like you know, it'd, be, it'd be a tough team for us to play because they're, they're disciplined – they're organized. They, uh, you know, some of those teams that that have lapses, we kind of get ahead of with the uh, athleticism and energy and and the you know passion that, that the players play with. But some of the teams that slow it down, work it, you know, low scoring game didn't seem to be a good fit. But it was amazing. And it's amazing sitting down there by those athletes. But anytime I try to look back on my my illustrious high school career, where I was actually the sixth man on my um, high school basketball team, we had seven players, so it's not quite as impressive as it might be otherwise. But um, anyway, when I think back about, you know, the level of basketball there and I'm watching these guys play and the guys are 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", they just glide across the court with uh, grace, power, athleticism. It's neat to be down there to see. I did that on a football game years ago against against Baylor and Robert um, Griffin's um, Heisman Trophy winning year. And it was down there and they had, you know, some of the, the, the and then I, I think they've had two different receivers that went to the NFL off that team and, and Griffin, obviously was a either first pick or one of the first two picks with uh, to Washington. Yeah, I think second pick right behind Andrew Luck. It's That's crazy. right. And it was, um, it was, but it was crazy watching, watching how uh, powerful those guys were being on the sidelines. By the way, OSU won that game. I grew up 50 to zero at one point. It was a, a huge win against a, you know, high, high quality team. But anyway, it's, it's, it was fun to see it. And the, the team did well. And then it was really cool at the end because I was on the baseline, the very end seat. And so a lot of the a lot of the plays would start there. If it was out of bounds, they'd have the guy standing kind of literally right there. And we'd be saying I'd be sitting there talking to him a little bit as, as the referees are you know, sorting stuff out. It was really fun. The only negative was when I um, started getting clips of <laughs> when people saw me on camera. <laughs> a little a little demonstrative. So but it was fun. I, I gotta say I'll I'll tweet it out here at the CJ tour in a second or after we record. You have, I think, the best like camera reaction. I remember when I was doing all the DJ stuff for OSU, there'd be a, you know, I could hear the guys who were going cutting from one camera to the other as they're showing a game. And so they'd be like, hey, like cut to cut to camera two, cut to camera two, you know, or or they'd be saying, uh, you know, the director would saying, hey, show crowd react, like anyone got a good crowd reaction, whatever. And I think you had to have the best crowd reaction of the Saturday game that was shown on, you know, I shown on uh, ESPN. Where you just have, you know, I think it was after a CSA block or some block where you were just completely just hands out sideways, just no, did not happen. And it was almost like they recorded you doing that and then put it like in, injected that highlight in there. Um, I'm almost sure that's what they had to do because you had a great, great spot to be in there. It was, too. it was fun to be there years ago. Um, probably when you were working for Oklahoma State, there was a, a, one of those remember the 10 games where we're um, doing a little bit of promotional work. And I was sitting in the similar seats, but I had no idea that, that I was on camera as much as I was. And so I was, you know, it was against OU. And I looked back at that and thought, okay, so I was a little more conscious, you know, if you're sitting down there about how visible it is. And I also had to tell myself not to do anything stupid because you can just imagine, you know, you, you get up to, you know, take a quick break and you actually, you're walking on the court, essentially. When my feet were inches away from the baseline, from the um, sideline. 
And, you know, you could be in a play. And if you're not looking, those they whip those passes around. I mean, they're not, you know, you, you could end up being on TV for a lot of bad reasons as well. So that was that was part of the calculus. Yeah, one of the funniest parts about the game for me, but one of the fun parts of the game too, was seeing you watching the game. It's like seeing like you kind of like, you know, put your shoulders up and kind of stretch or something, you know, or, or you know, pop your shoulder or, you know, or, or swing your leg over the other leg or whatever and cross your legs a little bit. I was like, yep, that's definitely my dad. And then once I told a couple of their friends who also are guests on the podcast, but Bo and Jake, they were like, oh, no, that's, yeah, that's definitely your dad. I see him for sure now. You know, I mean, just instantaneously like, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I recognize him immediately. So that was well, good too. You get spoiled though. I mean, honestly, being there to watch it like that, I thought it might be too close. In football, it is. In football, you know, you're kind of looking across people. In basketball, it's not. It, it's phenomenal watching how how hard they move and just just the power and grace. And I, you kind of sit there and awe. And Oklahoma State, if, if we were, um, well, I guess we could be ranked. We just couldn't go into the postseason because of the stupid NCAA penalty. But, um, but you know, we're probably, if we were ranked, we'd probably be in the 30s or 40s. I mean, somewhere in there because we have about a 500 record. So it would be a decent record because of who we've beaten, but it would not be top 25 or right on the cusp of it. And so even with that, we're so competitive and play so well. And it's um, you just realize that there's so much talent. And I really have a new admiration for those those kids that um, go through all they have to play basketball, the the going through the academics and then, then all the work they have to do and the travel. And the frustration and, and the disappointment like this year of not be, not having a postseason. And they still gave it everything they have. That was so cool to see them come out and win that game. And you could tell Coach was excited about it and the players were. And it was kind of melancholy because that was it. But um, seeing play that well was impressive. Yeah, it, it truly was. And when I look back through this this season, it's, it's impressive to me to see, one, Oklahoma State we held – but we held Texas Tech to 51 points in a game. I mean, they are going to make it as a high tournament seed, you know, in the March Madness selection show. They'll be, I mean, I don't think they'll be seed one, but they'll be two, three, or four, no matter what, um, unless something crazy happens this coming Sunday. And we held them to 51 points in the college basketball game. I mean, that's almost scoring a point a minute, you know, roughly. And that was just impressive. But then I look back at the game before at Iowa State, we hold them to 36 points in a like that's the fewest amount ever in Big 12 play period. That's the fewest amount ever at like Iowa State in their Coliseum, Hills Hinsdale or Hillsdale Coliseum. Oh, and, and the place opened up in 1971. So 50 years they've never scored that few amount of points. And then Iowa State as a basketball team hasn't scored that few amount of points until the 1940s. So really, really good there on the defensive side. And then the previous three games before then, we play overtime. Three games straight of overtime games that I kind of blanked out on because I went, oh, yeah, that's right. We did beat K-State at home. And that's right. We lost Baylor in overtime. Oh, yeah, and then we lost OU in overtime too, which just if, you know, if the Baylor and the OU games go our way, I think we feel a lot better about the season. Granted, beating Baylor once already this season was incredible as it is. Well, and you kind of look at the teams that we played coming down the stretch and, and the quality of the opponents. I mean, if we beaten Baylor, that would have been three straight wins against Baylor. We were the last team to beat them last year before they, they won with the national championship. Um, you know, eventually they won the national championship, but we were the last team to beat them last year. And this year they're ranked number one, and they, they I think Tech or somebody had uh, picked them off uh, the game before ours. But they're, they're playing – Baylor's playing at home, and they've already lost – the first game they've lost since – they lost to us, you know, last uh, last late February, early March, a year ago, and the thought we would beat them at home when they're certainly on notice, and boy, they got the wake up call, and then we beat them uh, then as well. And then the game we had here, if you remember, it was um, it was a fantastic game, very very close. It was uh, your uh, youngest brother's birthday, so we kind of watched it late to kind of see how it would go. And at the end of the game, there was a a just miracle circus shot that uh, likely threw up. And it uh, went over the backboard and went in. And it looked and sounded like we'd won the game. But the shot clock was 0.5, you know, faster than the game clock. And so if the shot clock, if the game clock was all there was, it would have been good and we would have won in regulation. That would have been in the game. But they were that close to doing it. And then the OU game, you know, you always hate to lose to, to your rivals that, uh, in, in state. And that would have been, I think, the fourth or fifth straight win against OU. And we won that yeah, game. Yeah, fourth. Yeah, fourth for sure, we would have swept them. And maybe fifth, just kind of, you know, overall, but we swept them back-to-back years if we beat them this year, which 
wish we had. Seems like a pretty neat team. I'm I, honestly, I'm impressed with them. One of the you know players is already in the transfer portal, but we seem to pick up pretty good, pretty good guys. And I think Cisse, I heard a, a coach went and talk about him that he was initially thinking he would just play one more year and go pro. He played at Memphis, not a great year for him. And then he, I mean, he was good, but not a great year. And then he came to play for us and he has, he has a lot of rough edges. You know, it's uh, we'll see how that goes, but we've got a, you know, if you're a player that's either, you know, looking to transfer for your last year and you've got a lot of talent, if you could walk into a team that's going to have some gaps and you have a big man like that and you have other big men down low to play, I mean, you've got three guys that, that are serious, serious inside players. And so it's not like you're going to have to carry the whole team and that's all there is. You've got Cisse, which I think next year he's going to, he's going to grow by leaps and bounds. And I think he's going to be um, quite dominant. Um, Matthew Alexander Moncrief, who just gets, he seems, he seemed to have a little bit of a, a, you know, down year this year to some extent, but he's six, seven and powerful. And then they, uh, you would hope Caleb Boone comes back and is, is as strong as he was last year. I think he had an off year for him, but he, he definitely is coming back. And then Tyreek Smith, he was the guy against Tech, so he transferred from Tech, and he's the guy against Tech that he had several big plays at the end. I mean, some shots and blocks, and I mean, he was, I think, the last shot he got a piece of at the end of the game to, you know, to, to secure the win. So I think with, with those kind of big men there, young, you could have somebody come in that's ready to, to step in and, and be a high scorer or whatever they want to do, and fit in, and we could have a team that could have a run to the Sweet 16 next year. I don't think it's out of question. I don't either, especially if Avery comes back and kind of, just, I don't want to say it takes like a leap forward. It seems like February and March is really his time to shine, and for whatever reason, back-to-back years, he has a slow January, um, and just takes him a little bit longer to get going than other guys. But I'd love to see the team with, I guess with everyone healthy, everything good to go. Chris Harris Jr. is one of those guys where, you know, Moyton's like last press conference that he has, I think it was today. He said, well, you know, what does he need to work on? He says, we need more shooting. Well, Chris Harris Jr. I was open would, would be that, would be that guy, would be that shooter. And as I like look out the Oklahoma State roster, what I, what I think is funny, the, the little tips here is Chris Harris is six foot two. I, I feel like I'm six foot two, maybe on a good day, maybe six foot one other days. And he weighs 200 pounds. I'm like, you know what, Chris, like, let's, let's get into it. Like, where were you this season? I, you know, wish you the best. Hopefully his ACL, I think he might've like hurt it or twisted it a little bit. And maybe just health wise, it's like, why not just keep him out for another year? But all that being said, I, I think the team's really well built and Ronda Walker had his best game of his career in the final game of the season against tech. Uh, definitely best half of his career he when he hits all great. those threes. He yeah. looked great. And he's, he has such a different look that he did the previous year. I mean, he had a, you know, a, a distinctive hairdo that was easy to spot. And a lot of times when you're watching, especially sometimes with the camera angle of Yager Iba, it goes kind of down from, from above. And it, it's hard to see the numbers and yeah, kind of hard to see who the players are some of the time. He had a distinctive look where this year he was just, you know, hair was almost clean shaven on the top. And it was harder to spot him in the first part of the year. And he was a workmanlike guy. He, he, he had three threes in that game. And I believe he had the three point the um, tr- the, the conventional three point play that uh, that put us back either at tie or one point off um, early on uh, uh, with about a minute and a half uh, left in the game that really put us back into it. Beautiful play, caught it and uh, muscled it up even though he got hit, and they made the free throw. And he I think he had a couple free throws earlier in the year where he secured games. He's a good guy. We just seem to have like ten guys that can play or more, and that's impressive with more guys coming in. And yeah, maybe the, no, one, no one may be leaving. Donovan Williams uh, is the transfer, I think, that, that left or that's leaving in the transfer portal. But um, likely is is you know, likely to, to um, maybe go to Europe and play or give it a shot in the NBA. But there's, there's still a chance that he could come back for his kind of COVID year and play one more year. Yeah, the only guy we truly lose that we, I don't think, want to lose is Bryce Williams because he's right. now got yeah. all of his eligibility out the door. But, you know, talking about Donovan Williams, he's a guy who averaged 10 minutes a game this year, but he only played nine. So we're not, I mean, wish him the best going forward. I, yeah, I never wish it bad on anyone, but we're not going to miss him necessarily. He's not like a key contributor to the team that, oh, okay, we're losing a bunch. You know, we're losing him, whatever. Bryce Thompson, which I, I just kind of forgot about, second leading scorer average points wise on the season too. And he seemed to come on real good as of late. 
later on the season. And that Baylor game, he was terrific in the Baylor win. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely something else. And I, it, it, it's going to be fine. And I, you know, Boynton's one of those, um, you know, young men for me, he's a, he's a young man and he has a lot of poise. And I look at the coaching staff and so many of them, it, it's kind of an insider club in a way you've got and Chad Weiberg, OSU grad athletic director following, you know, Mike Holder, OSU grad, former golf coach that um, was athletic director. And then the coaches, you know, at, at a lot of the, the, the prominent spots, wrestling program with John Smith, um, baseball program with, with Holiday. And you've got a lot of guys who played there. I believe the golf coach played there as, as well, but I can't, I'm not placing his name. But the, the basket, head basketball coach is one of the few that did not. And Coach Boynton, and he's, you know, grew up in, I guess, Brooklyn and played at um, I think it was South Carolina, as that were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, South Carolina, yeah. So he, you know, he, he, one day he may do something different, but the more I'm around him, the more I think that he is uh, likely to stay at OSU unless he gets maybe one of those ultimate blue blood jobs or an NBA job. And if he does, if he does well enough to get one of those, it's not going to be like Brad Underwood where they just um, you know, here for a year and then take off for Illinois. Um, there probably was more of the story that makes Underwood look a lot better than what it seems, but he, you know, I don't see Boynton doing that. I think OSU showed him a lot of faith. There were a lot of things that happened that that stupid probation thing that still bothers me because as I understand it, it was such a slight infraction. It was a coach paid them uh, 300 bucks to a player that was on the roster to meet with an agent completely wrong. Shouldn't have happened. But OSU immediately had the player pay, uh, pay it back, self-reported, all that stuff. And then this coach was was fired when uh, when everything came to life that he'd been doing, but he'd been doing it in other schools too. But there was no um, advantage to our recruiting program of inducement for someone to sign with us. It was an existing player uh, in his last year that was uh, you know, Jeff Carroll that, that was given the 300. And that, as I understand it, the, the NCAA brought the hammer down on us. We couldn't go to the postseason. We also have one less scholarship the next three years. Then they decided to, to pass, you know, a, a rule that for the schools who did something along those lines, but 10 times worse, it's no longer a penalty. And so it just seems like, really, you know, what's the point of that? So I, I but we've stuck by Boynton and, and he, I think he'll stick with OSU unless something really strange happens down the road because young kids and he seems to fit in well. I've been around him in, in off hours a, a fair number of times at dinners and those kind of things that are with OSU. Um, with uh, remember the ten run and and he's he's been so supportive and he comes to speak uh, to the families before the remember the ten game that, that comes up every year and the the testimonial he gives talking about how important their their sons are he just handles all that stuff so well he's one of those people that really think he he may be that if I had to name the coach that I feel represents OSU the best among a lot of coaches represent OSU well Mike Boynton would be at the top of my list. Yeah, he is such a good facing forward guy for Oklahoma State athletics just overall. I mean, he I mean, he let's let's face it, he doesn't look like any other coach we have. We don't we have um we do not there's not another black head coach at Oklahoma State. There are only male coaches for every single sport, including you know, Jim Littell until as of recently, who mutually parted ways with the program. And so now Chad Weiberg's saying, hey, we're not going to limit the pool of any. We may go hire a woman, we may go hire a man, may go hire whoever. But it's such a good thing to see Boyden be so profoundly loved by, I think, a majority of Oklahoma State fans. And Jake and I have gone back and forth on several podcasts about Gundy, but we have never gone back and forth about Boyden. That's one thing for sure. And Jake's even said, hey, you know what, like, Maybe it's your time to take a, you know, have a ranch or whatever. And I have a podcast that's a couple weeks ago about defending Boynton. And I just went on basically a seven, eight minute long, just, you know, kind of rant or but topic of why in the world would he have any issues at all with Mike Boynton and going back through it? We should have made the tournament when we were 18 and 14. Oh, you made the tournament when they were 18 and 14. And we beat, we swept them that year, but they have Trey Young. So there's just a bunch of different stuff there. And the other years, like, you know, the year that we, you know, COVID canceled the tournament for everyone. Boyden would have made it, you know, and, and Boyden's team would have made it. And then the year that, of course, half the team is kicked off, basically. I mean, all the three guys for what is rumored to be, I can't say anything officially because who knows what actually happened, but from stories here and there that you put together, a bunch of guys shooting up a car with a BB gun and, you know, an airsoft gun or whatever, and they're kicked off the team. 
And then we go get guys from the from the Colvin, who's we have the greatest story ever from one of those guys, D. Mitchell. Beats right. Houston at Houston, starting point guard for that game. I just think Boynton's been through, I don't want to say hell and back because there's much worse things in life, but Boynton's definitely been through a lot of ups and downs, and we've trusted him every single step of the way, and I think he's he's shown every single person I've ever known, every single person, including yourself, who's ever met him, talked with him, or heard him speak in any form or fashion, whether it be a sports management club a couple of times for Oklahoma State or you know, the Remember the 10 Run meetings, as you're saying, too, or, or the Remember the 10 Run family dinner, it, he could not exemplify Oklahoma State better. He could not make us right. seem... He's doing every single thing he could in the entire world to make us seem like we are the best school possible. And, I mean, it's such a good thing to see. It's fun to watch him um, with post-game comments. I, I, I enjoy watching to see how people react in good times and bad and how they handle themselves and what they have to say. And he has grace and equanimity. I mean, the way that he comes across, I think, is impressive. This last weekend, I, I assume that you, you got a chance to watch a little bit of Duke, North Carolina, and the hoopla around that. And I had set the, the game to tape because I just wanted to see what the, the ceremony looked like, see what, um, um, what you know, kind of what the, the, the game turned out to be because Carolina was okay. They, they'd had a, you know, kind of middling season. They were on the bubble to make the tournament at all. And they had the best player in the ACC playing for them. <laughs> uh, but they, 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 you know, it was close to the whole game, and then they started to pull away at the end. And it got more interesting because, you know, what will happen? This can't happen. They can't lose on Coach K's last game on the court. And that just, that's just not going to happen. He was there 42 years, I think. That seems just uh, amazing. But, you know, he's a West Point guy. He um, uh, stoic for the most part, but you could tell it was an emotional night. And so I was, I was curious to see how the game would go. And then once it was clear they were going to lose, I wanted to watch the post-game press conference. And I wanted to watch the, uh, the ceremony they had for him. And I don't know if you saw it, but it was fascinating to watch that because he takes the team off the court. And, of course, everybody, everybody stays because it's a big night and you're there. But it's so different if you lose to your hated rival from eight miles away in North Carolina, a team that for a huge upset for them with everybody going nuts and all the celebrities, all the, all the players coming back, the big stars. And so uh, when coach K comes out and everybody applauds and they kind of get everybody seated and they've got a special uh, place for, for uh, coach K, his wife and, and three, uh, three kids to sit. And he kind of gets up and just walks to the mic and it clearly wasn't the part of the program. And he grabs the mic. And he, he says, this is not part of the program, but it's something I need to say. And he says, um, regarding the game that was played earlier here on this court, it was unacceptable. It was unacceptable. And people were booing. And, you know, people were, like, trying to cheer him up. Like, oh, no, no, you know, kind of thing. And, and he's like, nope, nope. Listen, just let me get my piece up. It was unacceptable. The game was unacceptable. And he looks very stern, looks around. He says, but the season was not unacceptable. It was a It was an excellent season. And we're not done yet. And then he kind of gives a look to the crowd and everybody just kind of roars and he walks back and sits down. I thought, here you have one of the best examples you could of how to handle a situation like that. He changed the tone of it to a celebratory tone of that's right. We now have the players, you know, have a wake up call. We're going into the ACC tournament that we have a couple NBA uh, lottery picks probably on their team and we could have a great run. And we now have a chance to, you know, to really, um, make a run at it and granted it wasn't what we wanted to have happen but he takes account of, he takes you know takes accountability for it and says hey unacceptable and then he gives hope and then says let's move on and then the ceremony is great and it's uh it, it, i didn't know how they pull it off i thought it might be every single speaker basically saying well i know the result wasn't what we want no one said another word about it it just kind of went on from there but uh boynton is out of that same cloth i think I mean, he looks at bigger things and he tries to talk about um, some of the things that, uh, you know, some of his players have been through where they've grown. And I really like that kind of a coach, one that actually doesn't just bring in the talent and, you know, bring out what, what they have and then, you know, send them off when, when they, they can't do a, anything else. He seems like the type that's going to be able to, to help kids get from where they are to where they want to be. And that's what all coaches and teachers uh, should aspire to. For sure. I, I love the fact that, Every single time Boyne's been asked about the NCAA infraction penalties, every single time that someone's gone, you know, hey, you know, doesn't this suck for you? Doesn't this, you know, really taint your record or your enthusiasm for the season or, or whatever? They're asking him personally, right? 
He goes, me, no. The students, yeah. The students, it sucks for. It sucks for these college athletes. Like you're penalizing, you know, if you're going to say they're student athletes, you're penalizing them. They're penalizing them from that opportunity to go do bigger, better things and promote their own careers, promote their own, you know, NIL deals now and stuff like that. Like I could only imagine would have more opportunities if they were in March Madness and stuff. And also we're penalizing them five years later, which it, it yeah. is the is the biggest issue overall because KU, for example, has Oklahoma State had one level one infraction penalty, which was $300 to a player currently on the roster to go to a certain agency, sports agency after graduation, you know, because he might get drafted. Right. Kansas had five level one violations. I don't know what all five were. I'm not going to try to go into that, but they had five and we had one. Kansas's deal now is that, well, Bill Self will not be coaching the team for the postseason for the next two years. Whoop de freaking do. I, I got to say, like, if that's, and I, I think they have scholarship penalties too, and there's more to it, but one, KU, last time that they won it was, I think, in 08 with Mario Chalmers when Bill Self was a different head coach. So I can poke fun at that a little bit, but Bill Self went to Oklahoma State, so I'm not going to make too much fun of him at all. What I would say is, is, at the end of the day, Boynton has never brought up the fact of, hey, this sucks for me. This sucks for my head coaching record. This sucks for whatever. He's never taken that softball question and bit hard into it or tried to hit a grand slam with it, whatever. He's instead got sentimental with every single person who's ever said anything. He wasn't naming the people from the NCAA board because he was the only one who knew their names or because you know he really wanted to drive home a point that, hey, they suck or anything. He was saying, no, these are the people. You can read it online. And these are the people who decided that these young men who were in high school or middle school or maybe even younger at the time that this all happened are not able to play in the postseason. And so he always brings it back to that point, which I always love him for, too, because he doesn't take the softball question and just say, yeah, you know what? It could be better for me. He just seems to be very sentimental about it and go, if I was in the same shoes, how much would it suck if I was Rondell Walker and I have nothing to do with this from Oklahoma I went to PCN, I think, or PCO, and I just want to go play college basketball in Oklahoma at Oklahoma State for a great coach, and I'm not able to get to the postseason because some goofball dude who also spent half a year or three, I forget if it was three months or six months, but either way, I mean, it's not like that the 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 court system didn't rule on what happened um, you know, with the previous with the previous assistant coach for Oklahoma State and actually put him in jail for three to six months. So penalties did happen to that guy personally too. It's just bizarre that this was that harsh of penalties when because we had only one level one infraction, the NCAA was like, well, it's a small enough deal. We can rule on it. But when it's Kansas, well, theirs is too big. We don't want to have any implications where it could be us. So we're going to make sure to step away and let another whole entire agency step in and rule on how this should operate, how the infraction should be dealt down yeah i and they do seem to protect the the blue blood programs which annoys me and you know it happens with uh ou in football and kansas and basketball osu seems to get hit with stuff a lot harder than what we should when something goes wrong i mean i think about des bryant in football and he i if i recall the timing of that he was just on sports. He was just on the cover of Sports Illustrated, catching a, a diving, you know, catch against uh, to beat. Um, I think he was. I think he was beating the uh, Super Bowl winning quarterback in, in Georgia when that uh, photo was taken. And it was. It was where we're set up to have uh, a year. When, and when you have, when you're playing like Des Bryant, maybe when you get into the pros, and if you're not running crisply, I don't know why in the pros that. Injuries, I think, played a part, but he was a first-round draft pick for the Cowboys and was really good. But he wasn't—he wasn't just um, you know, a record-setting all-time player. But in college, if he finishes that year, he was so strong and so good. He, he may have had the best year of any OSU receiver had he finished it, and that's saying something because we had—we've had three um, three winners uh, of the best receiver in college football award. We had back-to-back with Blackman. And I think was it was it James or Rashawn Woods? I think may have been the first one to win. We had so many good receivers, and so Des Bryant was, but he was he was the kind of guy that was so strong, and he was he had a real passion to win, and that was one. So he's he's suspended for the year for lying to the NCAA, you know, um, investigators. If you know his history, you kind of are sympathetic 
for what it's like for him to have to have to talk to, you know, officials like that and how nervous he must have been and how difficult he must have been. But, you know, again, he was lying about something that wasn't a penalty. If he just told the truth, it was basically just lying. You know, it's like uh, you come home late at night and uh, instead of saying, well, I was out late because I was the library studying, you say, well, I had car trouble. You know, well, okay, you should have told me what the truth was about why you came home late, but what you were doing, there's nothing wrong with that anyway. So it was kind of like, okay, that's not like he was lying about doing something that was a competitive advantage type deal. So I, I kind of wish we weren't hit that hard by some of those penalties and infractions. It seems a little bit one-sided. It does. And there's a bunch of people that I, I think something happened with Georgia Tech today, like in the past hour or two before we start recording, where Georgia Tech had several different violations that were reduced or you know, not done the same, you know, basically gotten the, the lesser treatment than Oklahoma State too, where it's almost, I mean, there's a lot of Oklahoma State people that I follow on Twitter. So that's who all I see making these comments anyways. So I don't know what the real, the unbiased opinion is yet, but the biased opinion definitely seems like that the NCAA has a vendetta against Oklahoma State. I know that's the easier mental thing to say, but then again, the Des Bryant thing is something that I, I think about way too often of uh, Des Bryant, Blenikoff Award winner, plays in three games in 2009 before basically the Deion Sanders, Des Bryant dinner, you know, is found out about. And then we figure out that Des lied about, you know, as you said, I'm basically recapping it of Des said, nope, I, I didn't, I didn't meet with him. I didn't meet with him because he's so scared about, well, if I do, isn't that an issue? When, if he had just said, yeah, I did, I meant, you know, if he had just been truthful from the get-go, then he probably would have finished out, you know, his career at Oklahoma State, which he would finish out that season. He was going to get drafted after senior year, right. no matter what. But, I mean, when the year before then, as a sophomore, in 13 games, he has 87 receptions for 1,480 yards. Like, that is a just, I mean, 17 yards on average in your career, you know, in a season, uh, you know, yards after catch or yards, you know, catching the ball going. It's just... One of those things where coulda, woulda, shoulda, but at the same point, like, you know what? I just feel like a good windfall of karma has to be coming our way at some point in the next five years from all this, too. I mean, the horse collar tackle from Baylor at the goal line of the Big 12 championship game uh -huh. that you, Luke, and I saw in person, like, okay, no horse collar penalty was called on that. It would have been really tough to call a penalty on that play. Oklahoma State had, and we had four plays that were all within the yard line or so and couldn't get it in the touchdown. But at the same point, good. I got to believe in karma. Got to believe that, you know, good stuff happens to good people and they'll keep coming back to us or whatever because Lamont Evans and Deion Sanders, two guys who did not go to Oklahoma State that I know right. of. And I mean, I know definitely know Deion didn't, but I don't think Lamont did at all. And two guys who have only weirdly hurt the school, like bizarrely hurt the school. I mean, if you if you had given me, let's say you had given Jake, $300 and then Jake decides, Hey, you know what? I'm going to try out to play on the basketball team at the Colvin the next year. Right. Is that, I mean, does Jake have to go, wait a second, hang on Calvin's dad, give me 300 bucks. So I get my car fixed. Like what are we, it's it, it just, it just such a tough thing to understand what you can do and cannot do, especially when now every oh, single state, every single state athlete is going to get a scholarship for an extra 5,900 and something dollars. It's the maximum you can give a, an at student athlete every school year. And so for a former player to get 300 bucks, which Jeffrey Carroll hats off to him, he's playing overseas right now and he's still playing basketball professionally. And of Lindy Waters, Thomas Dezogba and Jeffrey Carroll, I would put my money on Jeffrey Carroll being in the league longer than any of those guys. It's kind of interesting now that Lindy Waters is, but it still blows my mind that we're thinking about this, but also still dealing with implications from something that was in 2017. Well, you want to hit um, OSU football just for a for a oh, for sure. baseball? You know, yeah, um, yeah, love I'm I'm um obviously everything's kind of optimistic, and and I I like I like the idea of cheering for a team that you don't just assume they're going to win and, and do well. But I, I've been amazed with how Gundy has built the program and sustained it, and it seems like a couple times it's going down. Maybe we're not going to, you know, we we had like um, the freak situation with this player or that player but he just keeps it going. And this year may have been one of the most satisfying seasons that I can recall, especially the way that it started. I mean, we played Southwest Missouri State 
in the uh, in the first game, or it was it Missouri State University, whatever it was called? It was certainly a, a you know an opponent on paper that was inferior. And we tried to lose that game late. We had a fumbled punt. I think uh, Presley fumbled a punt, and they had the ball inside the ten and couldn't score on four downs. And then we did something. I mean, it was just kind of like it was right there for for us to lose the entire game. And I'm thinking, whoa, we don't have a lot. This is not going to be a year. Then the next game we played Tulsa, and you know. Tulsa looks like a million bucks. Uh, unfortunately, they had this defensive lineman that was from Waco. Um, I think Jackson, I forget his last name, but, but he was a dominant defensive lineman. We almost got to Oklahoma State. I think he was choosing between us and going to Baylor. He ended up uh, picking Baylor. But Tulsa looked to me like a million bucks, and we squeaked that thing out and, and it was a, kind, of a, kind of one of those games that it seemed like we were going to lose and we won. Then the, the Boise State game, we're playing at Boise State, and it was one of the first, I think they'd had – 14 or 15 Division One Power Five conference opponents play up there, and they've beaten a couple of people. Like uh, I think they beat Oregon up there once, and some others. But they certainly were were prepared to, to kick or tell, and they were up I think uh, like 17 points, whatever it was. They were up by quite a bit in the first half, and it seemed like that game was over. And then we came battling back, and then we almost tried to lose that at the end too. If um, if uh, Jason Taylor hadn't uh, had had one finger on that field goal attempt, they would have taken the lead with a you know a minute left and that would have been very difficult to come back and win but from that point on the team got better and they uh, you know, they played well and other than a questionable um you know a fourth down play that was stopped at an inch short at iowa state it did really really well until we got to the big 12 championship and i think playing without warren was a was a huge part of that game we, we had decent backs in there but warren was the guy that had been that really changed the season for us and so that game was frustrating to watch because we did everything wrong and did everything but win. And then you yeah. finish up playing Notre Dame and winning there, and you get, uh, you, you come back from way behind it to beat OU uh, to, to win Bedlam. I mean, it was it was a heck of a fun year. So much fun. And, and going back to, to what you're saying, normally to start out every single season, you have cupcakes on your schedule. And I, I got to say, Missouri State, probably a cupcake. You know, I mean, anyone else is probably going, okay, Missouri State Cupcake. Now, we did beat them yesterday in baseball, which I'll feel good about. So we beat them twice in, you know, forgetting two separate years, but football and baseball. Um, but normally you go, okay, you want your average margin of victory of any game is going to be huge over your three non-conference games. Ours were almost the fewest. I, it's got to be like the fewest in history unless we had lost a couple of games, period, beforehand, like maybe when the year we lost to Georgia or whatever. But Missouri State, we win by seven. Tulsa, we win by five. Boise State, we win by one. And then all of a sudden, we kind of get the ball rolling where we beat K-State by 11 when we hadn't beat any of the previous teams by that much. And then, you know, Baylor, we beat by 10. Texas, we beat by eight, which hopefully Patrick can hear me in the other room as the Texas grad. But, you know, I mean, we lose to Iowa State. But before then, good Lord, we were just looking just real, real rocky. When we lose to Iowa State, I'm kind of going, okay, we lost by three. Hopefully we can win some more games the rest of the season to have a good chance at getting, you know, farther on. Because at that point, I think OU had lost a game, if I want to say, maybe, but maybe not. And OU's season hadn't really gone into any type of a tailspin yet. And honestly, it didn't really go into a huge tailspin ever. <laughs> but we, we took we took the doors off of it against West Virginia, KU, TCU, Texas Tech. And then the OU game is what it is, but... There are four games in the Big 12 where we just decided, yeah, screw you. We're going to win by, you know, 52, you know, Grand being West Virginia by 19 isn't the greatest deal ever. But at their place, when it's 24 to 3, that sounds a lot better than just winning by 19, too. Absolutely. Yeah, you're talking about um, you're talking about OU and kind of how they, they played out the season. They played a lot of teams closer than what I, I thought they would. They, you know, barely beat West Virginia at home. It seemed like. They were going to let, was it Tulane last year or was it another team? They had that, yeah, Tulane. They um, they won by five, but it looked like they were going to um, lose to a, a two and ten eventual um, Tulane team, which was kind of wild. And then coming down the stretch, you know, they uh, they almost got their, their tail kicked against Texas by about 40. And then they put in Caleb Williams and they came roaring back against uh, Texas. And that had to be one of those demoralizing losses that, um, that Texas has had. That was just awful to see. To, to lose when you're that far ahead, but they beat Kansas by eight and it seemed like they're going to lose that game. And, and it just kind of were right there on the edge. 
And then they lost to Baylor, which was um, was which was the big one that kind of made things you know, break free a little bit, give Baylor a chance to get back into it late. But um, that that game against us, you know, we were there with with Luke, and we made uh, we were uh, visiting family out of state, and we had to drive. I, I drove round trip um, Friday and Sunday, uh, like six hours, you know, to each way to to get back to uh, uh, the game with you guys, and it seemed like it seemed like we were going to blow them out at, at the first of the game. We went down the field and scored. We looked good. Tay Martin was doing well. And then OU came back and then scored. But it still looked like we were far better. And then we had three of the worst plays I've ever seen OSU have, just incredibly demoralizing with fumbles. Just, just gave OU a, a bunch of points. But then the defense just cranked down. And before you know it, we're back in that thing. But it felt like in the stadium, we were down by nine. And it felt like in the stadium we were down by by 17. And I think there was a moment maybe, you know, I don't think we ever felt like leaving because we're behind. But I think there was a moment with a younger brother that that uh, wears it on his sleeve when OSU doesn't do well. Of, you know, is this going to be great fun to stay here to the end? And, you know, are we heading towards one of those just absolutely demoralizing things? And then sure enough, they just they just battle back. And then to win that game like that, um, the, the wildest play was when Caleb Williams broke free. And he's running down the middle of the field, and we got one guy that's in front of him. And the, and the, the angle I saw, you know, we're there in person, um, and we're watching a play, out, you know, in the wide screen for us because we're there in person. And I forget who the defense back was, but he runs kind of a Williams. And Williams does a little uh, shimmy shake, and our guy almost falls down. And Williams is running down the middle of the field with nobody around him and all the room in the world. And I think he just got tired because he kind of runs for the sideline and we get someone to usher him out and, and then we end up holding him in the next four plays and, that, and we win the game. But it seemed like, it really seemed like to me that, um, that that had he had a lot of energy, that would have been tough to tough to stop him. So it turned out to be one of those incredibly rewarding seasons. And, I, you know, we when you look at the, the, the over the last 10, 20 years, what, or 10 or 15 years, what teams have done have had the, the the most you know winning records or the best winning percentage? OSU is in the top ten for most of those years, and overall, I think they're in the top ten. They just they just been so consistent for fifteen years under Gundy, and I worry about that a little bit because if Gundy leaves, maybe we hit another home run with somebody else. Maybe somebody else comes in that's a great coach and stays for twenty years, and we have this kind of success. And may, maybe they beat OU more often. Maybe they win more you know, championships, but I think it would be hard to, to convince me that anybody that, that it's likely that someone comes in and has the success the 15 years after he leaves that that he's had the, the, the past 15 years at Oklahoma State. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I just, I, I try to dig deep back into, okay, Oklahoma State football history. Okay, 0203 less miles. Great, great years, but you know what? We, we weren't winning 10 games either of those years, right? We had Josh Fields. Um, you know, Oklahoma State Hall of Famer, but, you know, an elite third baseman who gets drafted into the MLB and plays for the White Sox, right? Like, great, great player, but it's not like he got drafted in the NFL where, you know, he beats OU in back-to-back years in 02 and 03. And before then, it's just not a lot to talk about, honestly. It's just, I mean, you know, Seth or other OU friends give me crap about the 1945 National Championship, which, by the way, we have. I mean, it's not like we don't have it we have it um but the, the big 12 championship in 2011 is like the best season we have ever you know i want to say and this year this last year has to rival that season not a, maybe not maybe not like right there because it's just a little different we didn't win the big 12 championship but we still were there we were an inch away from winning the big 12 championship and then if we do maybe we're in the top four maybe not but we probably still are right where we're at we even to play notre dame Maybe we play Ole Miss instead just because of how the seating works out for everything as far as um, all the Sugar Bowl or, you know, Big 12 bid versus non if you're the at-large, if you're the winner. But still, I go back through every single Golden State season that I have, and I don't know of that many other seasons where we had this good of a year. And for this good of a year to be, well, we were pretty good, but you know what, we shouldn't have been better. Seems to me like we're just getting excited about what what the potential could be which is maybe a spencer sanders like heisman trophy type of year this year or who knows because i have to say coming into this last season tay martin was not like a household name at all uh jalen warren had no idea who he was 
And I had no idea that our defense would ever be any bit as good as they were and would be the storybook of the season, too. And so for Gundy to manage all of that and also to be a head coach now at Oklahoma State for 15, 17 years, I mean, Gundy doesn't do every single thing right as a head coach off the field, but good Lord, I'm willing to live with it for sure if we're having this good of sustained success year in, year out. Yeah, I'll take not to. Yeah. And next year, I mean, there's no reason to think next year won't be as good or better. I think that we lose two players that were – or three players that were amazing. One I think we'll be able to replace, and that's Tay Martin. I think that he was really, really good. But we've got so many receivers that are there. I mean, the, the number of guys we have, um, you know, even like um, the, the Richardson, the, the freshman that played so well. But you, know, you got Presley, you've got Green, you've got Bray. Um, the, it's the last name Shelton, the, the kid out of Edmund Santa Fe, um, Edmund Santa Fe. So, the, and he's got a brother that plays too. Both of those guys are good, but I think really, really good. We've got a couple running backs that I think will be good, but you know, Spencer Sanders had a guy that's been in the program that long. Fantastic. And we'll see if Trace Ford comes back. He was, he was our best defensive player, um, a couple of years ago when he was hurt, he got hurt late and that hurts in the season, but he should be really good. We lose two guys, though, that I think are, are just so so incredibly special. Devin Harper, he had two tackles uh, of Caleb Williams on the same drive when Williams had all this open ground, and, and he catches him and, and, and brings him down. And, you know, the game would have been different. You take out Devin Harper, that game's different for me. And then Malcolm Rodriguez, I was watching some of the stats come in for uh, the, the pro combine. I mean, this dude, I'd forgotten that he was the quarterback when his high school state championship team. He was a state championship quarterback. Um, he was a state championship wrestler and just phenomenal. I think he had like a 39-inch vertical at the combine and ran like a, you know, I think he ran like the third or fourth uh, fastest linebacker time at the combine. So this guy was otherworldly and so dedicated and so so tough and such a good player. But, you know, Brock Martin, has, he'll be back next year, and that's that's one of his uh, best friends that's played defensive line pretty well. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we are, are very, very competitive. And the only, the, I guess the last thing on, on OSU football, um, the only thing that gives me a little bit of concern is what's happened in the transfer portal. We've lost, we've lost two players that, you know, would have been all Big 12 almost, um, I wouldn't say certainly, but they were, you know, all American candidates and all Big 12 last year. Uh, we had two cornerbacks that, that are moving on that would be strong, strong players. We've got some replacements, but they were really good. But, you know, and we haven't brought anybody in. So we lost those two guys plus a few others. So what do you think about the transfer portal? I I think that the transfer portal is has been good for us for basketball, but I'm concerned about it's for football with losing a couple of different guys on defense and having a bunch of different, I don't want to say a bunch of different guys, a, a bunch of different um, names more or less here on, um, you know, you know, on the depth chart for cornerbacks and our, you know, it's just other guys. I mean, we have like juniors and sophomores who I think will be great and, and do great, but I'm I'm nervous that we didn't really gain anyone from the transfer portal, and we did lose a couple of guys of Tanner McAllister and Janark Ber, Janark Ber, Bernard Converse. Excuse yeah. me. Um, both of those guys losing them is is tough to say the least. And really, really wish one of those two guys ended up staying. Now, I mean, Tanner McAllister following you know Jim Knowles to Ohio State. I get. I forget exactly what happened to Bernard Converse if he left for the NFL or if he's uh, transferred to another school. I think he's an LSU. I think he might have gotten yeah, one of those guys And so that's tough to see. But uh, I guess it is what it is. I mean, I really wish it worked out better for us on the other end um, where we had actually gotten a couple of those guys to turn our way, you know, or or gotten a couple of guys transfer in, especially after the last season. And we had, we had such a good season. Maybe we'll get a couple of guys this summer that the transfer portal seems odd to me because, okay, do a couple of Auburn guys who Derek Mason recruited, who's, you know, was coaching at Auburn's defense and is now coaching our defense. Do a couple of those guys come over because they really like him and they're kind of following his path. kind of like Tamara Callister followed Jim Knowles path to Ohio state or, or not. And, Maybe it's just about playing time that we know we have guys in the roster who will play over someone who would transfer in, but 
seems seems weird seems weird so we'll see well i would be remiss if i didn't uh, um say let's well we got about 10 minutes left we talk about um about baseball that yeah. that is that's a sport so i think everybody that um i think everybody that, that goes to a school their years were always the best years it was you know the everything was just better when they were at school the colors were brighter and and you know everything was more fun and all that stuff but they'd all be wrong unless they went to school at Oklahoma State during the four years I was there because we had and we I think legitimately we, we had you know we had Thurman Thomas and Barry Sanders on the football team we had John Smith as a wrestler we had on the baseball team we had Pete Incavilla and Robin Ventura and the basketball team made the first NCAA tournament hard to believe but they won the Big 12 and won the first uh, the Big 8 back then and the first NCAA tournament appearance since Hank Iba when I was a freshman. So that was a pretty big year too. And we had a lot of other guys too. We had uh, some big track stars. We had Robin, uh, we had Scott Verplank in golf. So we had the golfer of the year, baseball player of the year. We had a player that became the highest trophy winner in football. And so we were really dominant then. But when you looked at baseball, those were the glory years for me. And, and I know we had other years that we were strong. But we won the, the conference. We had competitive teams in baseball, we won most years. I pulled up um, you know, a service ranked the uh, the all time that NCAA actually in uh, in July of 2020 they picked Oklahoma State's all time starting nine and I was kind of curious who those would be some of them I, I would have no doubt Robin Ventura was known as the player of the century and you know Pina Cavilla had to be right there with him um, Ventura is called the best player in Oklahoma State's history a three time All American just phenomenal and a great pro career now. Now he's a, a grad student and first base coach at Oklahoma State. But he had Ventura as a third baseman. You had a kid named Monty Ferris, who um, I actually was on the field with a couple times when I was young. I mean, not in, in ability level, but I was standing there while he was doing cool things when he played. But Monty Ferris was um, an absurdly um, strong player. He had an 860 slugging percentage. I mean, <clears throat> just phenomenal. But he was there in that same stretch, um, 86. And then the other ones we had, some of them wouldn't be hot. You know, Peter Cavillo, of course, was one of the greatest home run hitters in college baseball history. But Dennis, uh, the starting pitcher, best ever, was Dennis Livingston. And then they had Jimmy Berrigan, who was, um, you know, best first baseman. But those were years where you had you had a lot of um, um, drama around the team that was kind of cool. Team, they, they lost to uh, in the World Series a couple times when I thought they should have won. They lost to Barry Bonds in Arizona State one year. They played some of these great teams, but they had some of the best, uh, um, you know, games against OU. And if you look up on YouTube, some of the, uh, you know, baseball brawls between Oklahoma State and OU, I mean, we had a team that people were afraid of. Jim Traver, who's uh, a local TV personality or a radio personality in Oklahoma City now, uh, played, uh, played in the pros a little bit and then played overseas too. He was the first baseman and he was also the quarterback of the football team. But he tells the stories about just how honored those guys were, and people were afraid of them. I mean, those guys, they all looked like they were um, just tough guys and ready to brawl. And the coach, Gary Ward, was one of our, our legendary coaches. Baseball team has always been good. And I'm so thrilled to see, you know, um, Josh Holiday come back, which would, he, would, he would have been on the list of one of the all-time great players. But to see him come back and to, to have a coaching staff that includes Matt Holiday, his brother, who was a McDonald's All-American quarterback when he was in high school and had signed he was you know going to go to OSU, but he kind of used it for leverage because he was going to be a first you know ten uh, pick in the in the Major League Baseball draft. But you see some guys like that that are around the program and you see how well they're doing for the most part. They went to Vanderbilt, won two out of three. They uh, got swept by Gonzaga at home, which was kind of a surprise. But uh, all all of them were one-run games, I think. But they'll learn from that. But they it's fun to see them play. It's fun to see that new stadium and. I can't wait to my first visit there to actually be in the stadium to watch a game. Yeah, me either. Oh, well, I, I, I just go to a game. I forget. I think I went to an OU game last year um, at one point, but I'm excited to see you know, a game this year too, just because it's oh, bright stadium has looked incredible on TV. It is incredible in person. I will say um, the other cool things about it is that, uh, you know, I mean, Vanderbilt doesn't give up like they're a great, great college baseball team is what I'm trying to say, yeah. but they are really, really good at home. They don't lose at home ever. And the fact that they've only lost two, 
two um, series in like the past three seasons, and one of them is to us. So I've got to feel good about that as an Oklahoma State fan. And like, let's face it, we should have beat Gonzaga. I'd feel a lot better if we did. But in 2016, last year we went to the College World Series. We started out the season six and five, and until last night beating Missouri State, we were also six and five. Now we're seven and five. I'm feeling okay. Bats will take a little bit to get going, and it seems like there's a lot of good competition within the Big 12, too, so we should be, you know, battle-tested, hopefully. Uh, you know, with it all being said, to see you later on in the season. You know, we, um, we've we seen in the last year, the number of sporting events we've seen have been, you know, tremendous with your ability to, to you know, uh, work at, for an NFL team. But to go see the Dallas Cowboys and the Chargers play at SoFi, and to go see um, uh, so many of the Oklahoma State football games and, I, we ran up to go watch OSU play at Kansas last year, a year ago. Uh, went to go see the, the Big 12 championship in basketball. See us play Texas up there. There were so many fun, just spur of the moment road trips. The, the craziest one would have been the baseball road trip at the end of the year. When you're moving back to Los Angeles and we um, say, hey, wait a minute, we could just shoot through, uh, <laughs> go through Arizona. And that may have been um, um, the hottest I've ever been uh, outside for any sustained period of time. I think there were four or five fans that weren't in the shade, and then we were <laughs> we were the only ones that uh, stayed there the whole time. But that was brutally hot, and it was a tough series too. We uh, we we lost uh, we lost we we um, I think I don't even know if we ever played anybody but Santa Barbara, and then Grand uh, Grand Canyon State University. And we, we got after Grand Canyon State University for, you know, for a win. But uh, Santa Barbara just kind of owned us out there. And, uh, and we never got to play Arizona, the, the, you know, the host school. But that was a lot of fun. But, I, you know, you kind of look at the talent on the team. They've got pitching. They've got a lot of stuff this year to make a good run at it. And OSU baseball is special. And I, that, that it's uh, with COVID, I haven't been up to a game and, and didn't go last spring uh, to, to see, you know, when they had some of the big events. But they've got so much talent this year, and they've got so much rolling along. I, I wouldn't be surprised if if OSU doesn't have multiple sports that are highly competitive and a ton of fun to watch, and are you know up there mentioned as one of the really really good uh, teams you know going forward. Well, we got great young coaches that do well, and we'll see what happens with the basketball coach. That's going to be interesting about women's basketball. But um, you know we've got good people at, at good positions, and baseball would be at the top of the list. Josh Holiday is fantastic. Yeah, no kidding. And I do think that Provo, Utah is supposed to get a lot of snow here this weekend. And so the Oklahoma State BYU games have been moved from Utah to Globe Life Park in Arlington because, of course, Rangers and baseball is locked out. So they're not using it right now. But because of that, it should be pretty darn good to be able to play closer to home and indoors against BYU versus have to play at their place, at least say it that way. The only thing that makes me nervous about the Big 12, you know, baseball or whatever is that. One, unfortunately, we're no longer gonna be able to bike from the house to the Big 12 baseball tournament down at, you know, Chickasaw Bricktown Ballpark or the current sponsor right. name right now because they moved it down to, to Globe Life, which I guess that was going to happen at some point. Rather, it happened after I graduated from college and, you know, moving, living on my own now than beforehand. But with all that being said, we, we are ranked like six in the country um, in the D1 baseball rankings. It just is a little annoying that, Texas is ranked number one overall, and they seem to be the clear favorites, you know, them and Ole Miss basically to, to win it all this year. But it's baseball, anything can happen. Uh, we could see something crazy good happen tomorrow, even, you know, for, for Oklahoma State, just because baseball is played like almost every day. And, you know, granted, our, our games aren't until Friday against BYU, but still. Well, if you win two out of three at Vanderbilt, and we won that game, we were ranked number four in the country, that, that series, we're ranked number four in the country, then we go to Arizona State, win two out of two there. And so we we suddenly have done that, and then I think because of the Gonzaga series, we dropped down the standings a little bit. But I maybe mean, you're ranked in the top five, you know, five or six, you know, four, you know, a couple weeks ago, six now. You, you get a lot of respect for that. And you know, some of the big games we have will be at will be in Stillwater. Um, we play OU four games this year. One is in Tulsa, and the other three are all um, at O'Brate at a, you know in, in Stillwater. So it's a good year to to, to play them. Um, some of our away ones, like Morgan, I don't know how good West Virginia is, T, but TCU is always very strong. We play them at home. And, you know, we play at Texas, but, um, you know, we'll see. And, and, and we play Texas late, too. So it's like uh, we play Texas and Texas Tech and Baylor. 
uh, before the Big 12 championship. So we ought to know who we are by then. And we, we certainly won't be afraid to play on the road based on some of these games we've had so far. I think they've, uh, they've proven themselves there. And, and the games they lost, they, they lost the three against, against Zaga, but they were all were just nail-biter kind of games. And Gonzaga may be really good, but they, uh, they, 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 those games, um, Gonzaga scored two runs, two runs, and four runs. And Oklahoma State scored three runs, one run, and one run. So they, they literally beat us by three runs in three games. Um, one of them was an extra inning affair. And, you know, without that, sometimes it's good to keep humble. But it's fun. And those years, I, I think back when I was there, I remember one of the things that they, they, they intimidated players so much out there uh, back in the day, they had that kind of swagger where they come out on the field and, and you know that they're um, going to give it everything they've got. They're going to fight to the last pitch. And you feel like they're going to find a way to win no matter what. And I, I, I think it, I think OSU baseball is just absolutely a, a, a little hidden gem. You go out there to the ballpark and see it. And I hope they pack that stadium uh, this season. And I hope um, hope I get a chance to get up there and see uh, several games myself. Yeah, I, I think there's uh, well, remember the ten run this year is the third week in April. So is it April sixteenth, April seventeenth, remember sixteenth? So Oklahoma State plays at West Virginia, but on that Tuesday. Following then, uh, they play, looks like Oral Roberts at home. So I might try to catch that game if I'm uh, still in Stillwater at that point. So we'll see. I think that, that that's excellent. They play, uh, they play at West Virginia those three games, but they play, I think they play Wichita State on, on um, April 12th, uh, which would mm-hmm. be, uh, be a lot of fun to be out there then. Yeah, of course. Well, Dad, thanks so much for joining um, here on the latest episode of the CGA Tour podcast. Always love talking with you, of course, any day of the week. See you soon here this weekend um, as we wish Luke the best in his soccer tournament. But please follow at the CJ Tour on Twitter and Instagram if you're not already. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Gal.